Hello there. Welcome back to another episode. We hope that you are able to shed away the cares of the world while you listen and just visit in with us. We've got some fun things in store for you. Uh, We have um, a special guest, Stephanie Casey, that is on our Whispers of Hope outreach team. She services the Alabama team, uh, the Huntsville, Alabama. And then Abby Bailey, our co-host, is back um, sharing with us on how we can identify with Jesus as our friend. So I hope that you guys have had a great week or two weeks in between the times that um, we've been on air. I hope that this podcast is able to bless you and inspire you and encourage you right where you're at. And I hope that it is the Jesus that you need in the moment because Jesus meets us right where we're at, no matter where that is. And um, he can do it if you're in the car or in the shower. It doesn't matter where you're at. He loves you and he wants to be there for you. And so I just pray that this podcast blesses you this episode and um, that you're just able to enjoy. In this first segment, I have um, a team member that's going to come on. Her name is Stephanie, and she is fantastic. She is hilarious. I love that she is able to laugh um, um, just kind of in light of everything that's happened um, and just still be able to shine bright for, for Jesus and to just kind of be so relatable. You know, she's very raw and authentic and genuine. And I just know that the Lord's going to do big things in and through her. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear what she has to share. So um, let's get to it. Let's get Stephanie on air. Okay, so we are here with Stephanie, and Stephanie, before you come on air, I was sharing a little bit about you and how much I just love your ability to laugh in the midst of everything that's happened in your life, through all of the pain and everything that the Lord brought you through, that you can talk about it with a smile on your face, and you can laugh about it. It truly is inspiring. I'm so glad that you're a part of Whispers of Hope. To tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, would you like to go ahead and do that? Sure, absolutely. Let me just say to begin with, though, I am laughing now because I'm so happy. I'm happy all the time. I'm giving thanks to the Lord all the time. And it's, it's funny you say that, and that's important, I think, because my whole life I was, there was, and I said it before, there was a hole in my heart. Uh-huh. I was sad. Yeah. Um, I was always trying to fill that hole with... Uh, was something other than Jesus. And so, yeah. So, yeah, I am happy all the time now. I really am. And uh, I try to, you know, uh, approach life with uh, trying to find the humor in things. So, you know. That's awesome. Um, but uh, did you ask a little bit about myself? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm 45. I am not married. It's not that I've never been asked, though, just yeah. so you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's clear that up. Uh, no, but seriously. Anybody um, that knows you knows that couldn't have been the what happened. I'm just playing. <laughs> um, I don't have any kids. I have, um, uh, I've got my mom and my dad. I've got four brothers and sisters. Wow. Nine nieces and nephews. 
um, a cat and a dog, and I've got a, a wonderful friends, a wonderful group of uh, spiritual mentors and ladies around me, and people that I really respect, and people that have poured into me and helped me so much the last few years. I've got sisters uh, at Whispers of Hope. Mm-hmm. I have sisters in recovery. Yeah. Because I am a recovering addict from alcohol, meth, and opiates. Um, so there's, you know, I have a lot of people um, in my circle, and uh, and I'm really, really thankful for that. And I never would have thought that having that many people would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so I kind of closed myself off there for a long time, but yeah. but it's good. We need people. Yeah. God wants us to have Absolutely. a relationship with others. So I think it's amazing how much of a difference that what you're talking about having a lot of people in your circle. And you know, through different circumstances, I went through a self isolated period, and when you're going through that. Um, part of you acknowledges like how lonely and how unhealthy that is. But another part of you thinks it's what's best. Well, mm. This is just for the best. The less people involved, the better. Right. And um, my goodness, what a difference it makes to have like a good, healthy circle around you, championing you on. So, but yeah, that's well, awesome. something I've noticed. And, you know, um, I actually, I was in jail for a little while. And this was something that I noticed was a common thread with those of us who found ourselves incarcerated. And I don't know if if you can relate to this also, but so many of us women get conned into this uh, this idea that we don't need female friends. Mm-hmm. We're just going to hang out with the guys. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to hang out with my guy and his friends, and I'm just one of the guys. And Oh, we're going to hunt. We're going to work on cars. I almost feel like this is like a huge lie from the devil that, you know, women, we need other women. Mm-hmm. And, um... I think that's part of, because of, so many of us had been through that. Oh, yeah. In jail. That That's part of, of course, that's always part of the uh, method of operation for somebody who is abusive. Mm-hmm. They always separate you from, you know, your sisters, your mother, your female friends. That's yeah. always one of the, maybe not one of the first things. Sometimes it is, but it always, it's in there oh, somewhere. Oh, it gets there, yeah. They always that's do that. Sure. And, and I think it's interesting that. So, so many of us do that, and it's so unhealthy. So, like, uh, when I was in, like I said, when I was in jail, I realized about halfway through that stint that <laughs> how many of us, we were learning with the ladies that were coming in and doing the jail ministry, how to love women again, mm-hmm. how to trust women again. You know, um, we had let a lot of the guys put these barriers between us, you know, because there's a lot of jealousy that goes on Mm -hmm. and just strange situations that go on when you're in these unhealthy relationships. Yeah. And um, we'd gotten where so many of us didn't like other women. We didn't trust other women. And, uh, you know, obviously there's only only women when you're in the cell. (laughs) And, And it was interesting for the ministry to come in and for us to start seeing uh, the, the girls as not um, competition or or uh, somebody we can get along with, but as other women with, and we all had issues, we had self-esteem struggles, um, we all had uh, a list of bad relationships and, and whatnot. And it was just interesting for us to get in there and be ministered to and recognize that we were missing 
something in our everyday life, and that was fellowship with women. Yeah. So it's been it's been really cool to get back and have healthy relationships with women again. Yes, that's awesome. Well, I'm super proud of you, and with the journey that you've made, and with everything that you've come through and that you've overcome. Um, And I've heard you say before when you and I were talking about just about your testimony and about everything that you've been through that whenever you were learning how to share your story, that they had told you not to focus so much on the past and everything you went through, but to focus more on the now. Um, And I think that is a healthy way just to face life and to also to be a survivor and not a victim of your circumstance. Because I think that if you've been through enough things, it's easy to kind of stay stuck there mentally Mm -hmm. and to just only identify by what's happened to you. Like I know how you had shared that you were recovering from those things, but if someone knows you, they know that, you know, that was a piece of you, but that's not the only thing that you identify as, you know, that's not what identifies you. Um, for the sake of the listeners, how would you share that, um, you kind of got there, um, from where you were as that being your identity to how you are now? Like, um, I guess that transition period that, you know, you can look back and that be a part of your story, but that doesn't mark who you are anymore. Well, to give a little sample of like, say my adult life, Um, I had a relationship, um, in, you know, when I was 17, I fell in love. It didn't work out. I was heartbroken. He was abusive, um, very abusive. And of course I don't have any ill will towards him. Um, we've since made up and he came from a very abusive family. He had alcoholic parents. Um, he has since apologized to me and I know that he means it yeah. and I'm not the least bit, I have no hard feelings towards him. Right. Um, and, uh, so that's just, I'm a forgiving person by nature. Yeah. I am not a grudge holding kind of person. Right. Um, and, uh, I thank God for that part of my personality. I mean, I've got all kinds of other character flaws. Don't get me wrong, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm a forgiving we, person. Don't we all? <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm good on that one. And I think that comes from needing so much forgiveness throughout my life. Yeah. I'm like, hey, come on, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I extend that to others quite well. I always have. So, yeah. uh, you know, pat myself on the back for that one. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, we're friends now, but we had a very tumultuous and, and just, I mean, it was a terrible relationship, and uh, it kind of set the stage for my romantic relationships throughout my adult life. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I, in other words, I have just terrible taste. <laughs> <laughs> Been there. My criteria for you know, uh, pretty you know, my criteria for you know what I'm looking for in a man has always been pretty much. You know, blue eyes, it just gets me. I don't oh, know what yeah. the blue eyes is, you know. Yeah. Does he have a job? No, but he's got blue eyes, you know. <laughs> doesn't have a car, but have you seen his eyes? Yeah. I used well, to be in the exact same hey, boat. Hey, those eyes, he could get in my car, that's okay? Right. Yeah. Usually did, yeah. Yeah, well, it turns out that's not the way to, to find your life partner. <laughs> right. So, um, we had a really ugly relationship, though, and... It was, uh, his family drank a lot, and that got me in the habit of drinking a lot, because my family didn't drink a lot, but I, of course, I was, we were dating, so I hung out with him all the time. Mm-hmm. His parents drank, so he drank, so I drank, and it just got to be just a terrible, terrible habit. It got to where I did that all the time, and this went on for years and years and years, long after he and I broke up, and uh, it just kind of set the stage for, you know, the next several years of my life, and you know, 
I believe what they say is true. Uh, alcohol and pot are gateway drugs because mm-hmm. it starts with alcohol. Right. And then when you're willing to, you know, toy with your sobriety, you'll go on over and try a little weed. And then if you're willing to break the law by using weed, you'll go a little further after that. I mean, it's, I mean, I didn't just jump right in. Right. As a matter of fact, it took almost 20 years, right at 20 years of um, substance use Mm -hmm. to go from the really light stuff to the really heavy for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a very slow journey. Right. Um, Which I guess is why I really wasn't afraid. It was a very gradual journey for me. I didn't, you know, I'd always been able to maintain, Mm -hmm. even though I was dabbling a little bit more here, a little bit more there, and, you know, so. Yeah. I really, really never thought that I would get in over my head with drugs. But, um, but I worked several regular jobs. I was a waitress. I was a cashier. Um, I was a door-to-door salesman, um, a cook. I always had these, I guess people would call them dead-end jobs. I prefer to call them low-income jobs. Yeah. Um, and I could never quite make ends meet. And then I'd go back to school and I'd get good grades for a while. But then I would see, I would have to cut back on my... Uh, work in order to go to school, right. my grades would be good, but then my paycheck would suffer, so I'd have to go back to, to, so I'd have to work more, and then my grades would suffer. So it was just like, like you see on the commercials on TV, it's this never-ending cycle. Yeah. And so I constantly had financial difficulties, and I mean, they weren't being helped by the fact that I was drinking and smoking and all that kind of stuff. Right. Because that's expensive. Those are expensive yes, habits. Yes, they're yeah. expensive habits. Yeah. But, you know, my reasoning was, you know, I'm not going to have enough money to pay my bills anyway. (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, why be nitpicky, you know? (laughs) Um, You know, so, so, you know, that's just kind of the way I live my life. And, you know, it's funny. I can remember, you know, blowing down the road, you know, with a cigarette in one hand and a, you know, beverage in the other. (laughs) And, you know, thinking, you know, this is just me. This is just who I am. This is the way that I'm going to be, you know? Mm -hmm. Um just a perpetual bachelorette. I'm just always going to live this life. This is just me. I just, I'm not cut out for school, apparently. I'm not cut out for a high-paying job. I'm not cut out for a relationship, evidently. Um, I guess I'm not going to have any kids because I'm not married because I can't find a husband, you know, by choice, okay? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that I haven't been That's asked, right. okay? Let's make that clear. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I just, I don't know. I just came to kind of accept that, I guess, or I thought I had accepted that. Right. Deep down, I guess, looking back, maybe I wasn't so okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not that I compare myself to my to my siblings, but my siblings had careers, they had families, they didn't have issues with addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they don't go, you know, throwing that in my face or anything. This was just right. something I observed. Sure. They never made me feel like, hey, Steph, what's wrong with you? I I noticed this. But, I mean, it it's not hard to notice, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, they're building houses and raising children and, and buying cars, and I'm riding around with a Bud Light between my legs <laughs> listening to Hank Williams Jr. crying, you know, my steering wheel about why I can't find true love, you know, like I care. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So, I guess there just finally came a point where I I felt like, you know, my failures caught up to me. Yeah. There just came a point where I don't know if it was the fact that I was getting older that probably had something to do with it. 
you know, turning 35 maybe, maybe that's what it was. It was in part the fact that I was working at the club and um, I was not getting any younger. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had went from being the top seller at the club. Um, We had a list of the top selling person every month who sold the most dances and everything. And I was the number one seller in the club for a year straight. I mean, I was used to being, you know, to doing the the most. Mm -hmm. And just all of a sudden one day I wasn't on, I just wasn't at the top of the list anymore. I was replaced by an 18-year-old named Mercedes. But that's besides the point. <laughs> I mean, not that I care, you know. But all of a sudden, I mean, my status was like, wow. And I mean... Well, and that's the thing in that world, that there's always something newer, something younger coming along. But I didn't think it would happen that yeah, fast, right? You know? yeah. I thought I would have a gradual decline. Yeah. No, honey, I crashed and burned quick. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was on top of the world one minute, the next minute it was like, who? <laughs> Does she still work here? Yeah. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was a very humbling experience, yeah. we'll say. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, and I can laugh about it now. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was like, well, it's oh my gosh, now yeah. what? Right. I haven't saved any money. Yeah. I haven't done anything responsible in the last, you know, 35 years of my life. I mean, what am I going to do? Because mm-hmm. um, I never, ever planned for my future. I never, you know, and my parents told me, they told me. You know, Stephanie, what are you going to do? I mean, they didn't nag me. Right. I have lovely, wonderful parents. They did not nag me. They didn't judge me. They didn't ridicule me or make me feel less than. But they did occasionally ask, you know, what is your plan? Yeah. You You don't have one? Okay, fine. Just checking, you know. (laughs) All right. You know, um, (laughs) I mean, seriously, they never never put me down. But, you know, they say that they weren't worried a bit, but I know they were, and they, mm-hmm. they were wondering what was going to happen. So, uh, and so was I, really, because, you know, there just came a point, like I said, I hit my mid-30s, and I just didn't have a plan for the future. Yeah, and I was uh, in the club, I was dancing, I was getting older, like I said, my, uh, just to recap, you know, I'd taken a, I just wasn't, I, I just did not hold the... I just, uh, I just wasn't a main attraction anymore, mm-hmm. and that was clear. And I made it worse because, you know, the minute your self-esteem takes a hit, and then you, you just, you know, you overreact. Right. So I had to, I started using heavier drugs mm. to get the, because I thought, well, you know, I'm such a dog. I'm just going to have to, you know, just really like, you know, just be wasted to go out here and even, you know appear in front of these people because I'm just so hideous to look at. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, and now I'm like, okay, that was ridiculous. Right. I know that now. Yeah. But at the time, that's how I really felt. Sure. Well, now... You went from being top dog to not not being on the board. Yeah. So now I'm on stage and I'm not only older and a little bit heavier, Mm -hmm. I'm also inebriated. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Now it's really getting bad. Mm -hmm. So I'm making less money. Well, now I need to obviously get more inebriated. Well, after a few weeks of this... I look older, I look fatter, and I'm more inebriated, so I'm making less money. I mean, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. There's no way out of this. This is just a downward spiral, and it's just, it's not going to end well. Right. So, I had this fantastic idea. I thought, well, i got to lose some weight. I'm going to go ahead and try the big stuff, because I've always been able to maintain. I had had a pill addiction, alcohol addiction, um, done a little this, a little that, here and there, whatever, whatever, and I had never lost control. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So I thought I need to lose some weight. I'm going to do a little bit of the dope. And shed those pounds. It also gives you, obviously, it it gives you euphoria. Mm -hmm. It gives you self-confidence right right out the gate. You feel beautiful. You make money. Mm -hmm. So, initially. Well, I mean... I guess that might have worked a handful of times, but that quickly gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. So, it, that that was a total disaster. I got addicted to meth and spent the next five years destroying my life. So, excuse me. Um, but, you know, I lost everything I had. At one point during all that, I actually was helping to take care of my grandmother who had Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And, um... She had medication that she had to be given at night. Mm-hmm. And I was so on on the dope that I was forgetting to give her her medicine and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother knew that she was supposed to have her medicine. And she was going behind me and checking. So, so it wasn't affecting my grandmother. Right. But my mother knew something was wrong with me because she knew I wasn't doing like I was supposed to. Right. It's just, there was just so much that that was going on at the time. There were signs that my parents noticed that something was wrong with me. Yeah. And uh, so, they told me, you know, you can't take care of grandmother anymore. They cut me off. That was the only income I had at the time. Because um, I, ha- I had quit working in the club. I was unable to, to do that. I was unable to maintain that. Um, so, I lost my car. I lost uh, the privilege of helping to care for my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost, well, everything. I mean, everything. Uh, eventually, I couldn't go back to the house. Um, I had no relationship with my family. I mean, nothing. I lost everything. Uh Went and stayed with my boyfriend hmm. and uh, my boyfriend at the time, who was also in active addiction, and his whole family was in active addiction. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there and lived over there with them for for a while. And I just did dope and went in and out of jail for several years. That was kind of the thing, you know, forty five days here, a week there, thirty days there, three weeks here, you know, six months there, you know, that kind of thing. And in jail, I mean, yeah. And yeah. then and then I'd go back to his house and. Just get high some more. That's pretty much it. And, you know, I had no relationship with my family. And, you know, like I said in my testimony the other night, that to me was just as close to hell as as, as you can get. A s- separation from everything that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I can remember being in, uh, there was a thrift store there at Mimble called Serenity Thrift. Mm-hmm. And I can remember being in there and, like, I could hear my sister talking to my nephew. It's like being in two different worlds. Mm -hmm. And I was standing in that store yelling my sister's name. And the people in the store were looking at me like I was a nut. And I was standing there crying, just yelling my sister's name, you know. And uh, just just being separated from it, it just hurt my heart so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's... There's just... There's so many... There's just, there's just, when you get in a situation like that, though, you can't easily leave it. Right. Either. Oh, yeah. See, you know, even though in this particular situation, my boyfriend was not abusive. There was, however, um, the situation there at this time, and I couldn't make my family understand. They were, his family was so heavily into drugs, Mm -hmm. and they were getting raided all the time by the police. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I did not want it. I had a hard time leaving my house and going to my parents' house. I was afraid. Now, granted, I was delusional, to some, but I was afraid they might think my parents were involved with right. drugs. I was afraid that his family, if I went to live with back to live with my family and his family got raided again, that they would think that I had snitched on him, mm-hmm. which I would never do. I mean, right. I, I would never do anything like that. But this is the kind of stuff that goes through your mind sure. whenever you're involved in Absolutely. this kind of stuff. Yeah. This is why your parents tell you not to hang out with the bad crowd in school. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> it's truly. It starts out small. Yeah, okay? it does. It escalates. Yeah. <laughs> and then 20 years later, you're like, oh my gosh, I should have <laughs> listened. <laughs> I knew when I was smoking out behind Autobody that it was a bad idea. You know, and that's how it started. And yeah. this is, you know, so it's just, I mean, it's like a snowball. Granted, mine was a slow snowball. Right. I mean, but a snowball nonetheless. Yeah. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But, you know, it it's just a mess. And, and you just get so involved. And, like, I can remember wanting to leave the situation. And, like I said, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to... I don't want to make myself a victim where I wasn't. Right. This boyfriend was not abusive. Right. But because there were drugs involved, Uh I can remember wanting to leave on foot and him picking me up and putting me back in the car and saying, you can't do that here. Right. Right. Not because he was holding me hostage, but because I couldn't do that there. We had stuff in the car. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's just so much that goes along. It's just such a mess. And for me... You know, the drugs came as, uh, the drugs came simply just, just to, 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 uh, you know, kind of summarize here. The drugs came, uh, the meth got started as a way to get slimmed down and go back to work at my job as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Because the dancing life is so glamorous and... It's it, it's like it's like quicksand too. You mm-hmm. get it and you get stuck. Mm-hmm. You get stuck for a variety of reasons. Not only because of the money, yeah, and the, uh, the you get a little bit of notoriety. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to clubs out in Nashville and they go, "Oh, hey, aren't you so and so?" Well, yeah, you know, people recognize you. You know, you're you know uh, beautiful and desired, and mm-hmm. you make this great money, and you get paid to walk around and smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol. I mean, when you're living that life, there really seems to be no better deal. Mm -hmm. But it's more than just that, too. You get stuck because you have a gap in your employment. Mm -hmm. You get stuck because you can't tell people where you've been for that time. Right. You know, you do that for seven, eight, ten years, and then you go to apply for a job at, uh, you know, the doctor's office. Yeah. Well... There's a gap in your appointment. Yes. <laughs> Where have you been? Ah, you know, around. Right. <laughs> yeah, I have worked. You I don't want to tell know. anybody. <laughs> right, right. And if you do, they're not going to hire you. Right. Because they're like, we ain't bringing that in here. Yeah, ah. yeah. I mean, it's just... Well, not only that, but so many, it's so common, like what you experience where you pick up an addiction while you're there. You may not have one when you start, but in order to continue that where you're working all night long or, mm-hmm. you know... Um, even if it's a choice to go in there, what you're choosing to like the VIPs and all of the situation, um, you almost have to be in an inebriated state to tolerate the evening. And so 
you know, night after night of that, and it builds a cycle. And then, yeah, on top of that, you've got the gap. And a lot of times, even like your references, you know, most job employers want you to provide right. references. Well, when you're in that world, who were your references for the past 10 years? They're going to be people that were right there in it with you, right. you know? And so I totally get that. It's a complete trap. So it is. It's, it, yeah, it's a trap set by the devil. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a, you know, like you say, there's uh, a lot of girls start out with they're new, they're fresh, they got big hopes and dreams. They're going to pay for school. Everything's good. They're beautiful girls. They're sweet girls. You better keep your hands to yourself. Right. And I'm going to tell you what, it just myself included. Yeah, it does not stay that way. Right. Because for, for well, like you just said, you know, uh, the v, the VIPs, you know. People are eventually going to want to put their hands on you. Yeah. And there's going to be other girls that allow that. Right. So eventually, you know, you're going to make money or you're going to go home broke. What's it going to be? Right. Um, it's it's physically hard on you as far as your back goes, as far as your feet goes, mm, as oh far yeah. as the being up all night the goes. The dancing. <laughs> the, I mean, it is physically strenuous. It's physically exhausting. Yeah. Emotionally exhausting. And on top of that, you're probably starving yourself to look a certain way like yes. during the day. And so it's like extremely hard because, well, now, I like, know. I know for me, I'm not me when I'm hungry. Right, <laughs> you right. that <laughs> for an entire cycle. I mean, that alone would turn well, me into a different person. And again, that's kind of where some of the the drugs and stuff comes uh-huh. in. You know, um, you don't, you know, you won't be hungry if yeah. you, you know, do some of those. So yeah. that kind of, you know, takes care of that. But then, you know, you're dancing and you're, yeah. your stomach's growling. You right. Know? Yeah. Oh, I must have forgotten to have a snack before I left the house. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I haven't eaten in 10 days, but you know. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, not really. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> but maybe. I don't know. So. Um, but so, like, when you were going through that process, and I know you shared the majority of it, for you, what was the deal breaker? Like, what helped you transition over from being stuck where you were? What was it like? Okay, my situation was totally different, but for mine, you know, I kind of had a life or death situation when I was facing, and God offered me an opportunity out, and I knew that if I didn't take it, that I was basically done. Um, for you, did you have something like that that happened that uh, kind of helped you switch over, or was it just like you had explored every avenue and you had seen that they were all kind of dead ends in the maze or what happened with you that just made you decide like, I don't, this is not, I can't do this anymore. I think there was a lot of different aspects to it. So I think you may hear a different one during different times when I give my testimony. Sure. Um, now one thing that always is part of it is I was separated from my family. Yeah. I was not close to my family and that was devastating to me. And I thought about it every day and I did drugs every day to try to forget about it. And eventually there gets to where there's not enough drugs in the world to do to forget about it. Yeah. There's just, there's not enough. I mean, <laughs> you know. Um, but it seems like, now I know my mother said something to me one day and it was, let's see, I turned myself in in June of 2017, but I had been in jail right before that in February for about 45 days. And I remember my mother saying something to me along the lines of, so is this just going to be your life now where you just, I mean, you go to jail for a while and then you get out for a while and then you go to jail for a while and then you get out for a while. I mean, is that, is that how it's going to be? Mm-hmm. She said, you know, see, I was so paranoid. 
and I know I reiterate that every time, but I cannot begin to tell you the level of paranoia, which is why it was so amazing that I was able to, you know, uh, reach out to Mary and Mm -hmm. go from there. Yeah. But I, I didn't want anybody, I did not want my mother to come to the house where I was staying. Oh, yeah. I was afraid there would be some kind of mix-up about something somewhere with somebody, and I didn't want any of that. So I would walk to the McDonald's and have coffee with my mother on Thursday mornings. Mm-hmm. We'd have a frappe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, remember, uh, I remember my mother telling me during that phone call, she said, you know, so is this going to be your life now? You're going to be in and out of jail. She said, and we're going to have frappes on Thursday mornings. She said, I want more. Mm-hmm. She said, I want you to know that I want more. And I kept that conversation in the back of my mind. So, you know, not just the fact that mama wanted more. I wanted more too. I wanted to be back with my family. But yeah. But the part that is this going to be my life now? Mm-hmm. Am I just going to go in and out of jail? Gosh, this is, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, really, is this going to be my life now? This is a horrible way to live. I don't have to live this way. Mm-hmm. You know, um... And by that, I mean, you know, you see these families where you've got these people trying their hardest and they're struggling to break these generational curses oh, yeah. that that are just, and I'm over here, in my opinion, electing to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing this life. Okay. That is so, ooh, that just makes me so mad at myself because there's so many people that get thrust into those lives like that and they want out so terribly bad and they don't have these opportunities. They don't have parents that love them. Right. They don't have parents that will let them come and live with them. They don't have parents that will give them a car to drive or take them to work if they don't have a driver's license. Yeah. What is my freaking problem? It just dawned on me, like, what is your deal, Steph? I mean, like an awakening, mm-hmm. you know? Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so now, I not only love my family, but I appreciate them in a way that I feel like I didn't before. I always said I did. But no, maybe I didn't. Right. I, I do now. Yeah. I appreciate them and I thank them for everything they've ever done for me because they've been so amazing and supportive in every way. Right. You know, to this day, never throw anything into my face ever. That's amazing. It is amazing because I did some really crappy things yeah. that that I don't have that I don't feel like anybody is holding against me. That if there's anybody holding it, it's me. Right. You know, um, you know, and I, and 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 I and I'm holding on to it because I don't feel like it's I don't feel like it's okay to just be flippant about right. some of the things that I did and be like, oh well, it's over and done with, you know. I don't want to be like that about it either. Yeah. Um, I understand it's over and done with, and I'm forgiven. Sure. But uh, you know, I think it's I think we do need to hang on to a little bit of this so that we don't make the same mistakes ever again. Yeah. I mean, it's just my opinion, you know. Yeah. But. So. Okay, for and I know, and that's awesome insight too because you kind of hold on to it, I think, for a little bit to to maybe keep it as a fresh reminder um, that you don't want to go back to that. You don't like because all of those hurts for everybody that you love come along with that lifestyle. That that's was, right, you know, and I don't take those lightly. Yeah, but for somebody that may be starting to try to rebuild their life, um, 
what wisdom can you impart for them or something that you thought was really helpful? And I know you've kind of hit on some along the way already, you know, the importance of family, the importance of having a good influence circle, um, you know, all of those things, not going places that, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, but for you, was there any just major thing that made a huge difference? I know I've said this a million times, and I know that I, I know I drive everybody crazy with this, but I believe in this, you know, first of all, what you said is absolutely true. If you don't have the family, there's got to be a support circle. Mm -hmm. There's got to be jail ministry or whispers of hope. There's got to be a Sally or an Edie or a Mary and a, you know, (laughs) there's got to be these people around you. Um... That first and foremost, you've got to have the support system, mm-hmm. whether they're related to you or not, right. of godly women. Mm-hmm. Now, and then, of course, you don't want to go play places and be around people that aren't good for you. But to me, one of the biggest things that people don't mention, keep the music and the TV and the garbage out of your life. Mm-hmm. Do not watch a bunch of garbage on yeah. television. Do not listen to a bunch of garbage language. Do not listen to garbage music. Mm -hmm. All that stuff does is get in your head to get you thinking about sex, Mm -hmm. drugs, and rock and roll. No, no, but seriously. I mean, I know I sound like an old bitty, but look. No, it's true. This is true. Yeah. You know, um, you know, just to be, you know, well, no, I don't want to go. That might be TMI. Okay. How about this? Okay. How about this? I'm just saying, you know, if you're out here and you're trying to live a godly life, mm-hmm. the devil's going to be out here coming at you every way he can. And media is easy. Oh, yeah. You're just giving him an easy, an easy end. That's right. You know, I'm over here. I'm, I I don't need to be sitting over here thinking about, you know, sex and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Why would I turn on a television show with sex on it? Right. You know, the, that's not the way to avoid thinking about sex yeah. or going out and looking for a sexual partner. If I'm not wanting to do drugs or drink alcohol, why would I turn on television and watch drugs and alcohol? Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to watch my language, why would I watch a television show with nasty language? It's like being on a diet and watching Food Network. <laughs> That's my problem yeah. right there. That's the problem. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. We just solved all kinds of problems tonight. But no, I mean, turn off the TV. Yeah. Your social media. Oh, you can yeah. love your friends. But when your friends start posting nasty language and nasty stuff, snooze them for 30 days. That's what I do. Yeah. Love you, but you got to go to sleep for 30 days because yeah. you're posting some nasty stuff and I can't hang with you right now. I'm right. still your friend. Right. But you're going to snooze for a while. Yeah. Because you've been crazy with that F word lately. I don't yeah. know what's wrong with you, but <laughs> well, anyway. Yeah. You know, or, or crude humor. Right. There's no, the, the, there is no place for that in our lives. And granted, we're all going to slip. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're all going to slip sometimes. But it's a slip if it happens sometimes and you're really trying not to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're over here watching this stuff all the time and actively participating in it, that's a totally different story. Yeah. I mean, then you're like not even trying. That's true. I mean, yeah. and, and it's just, and it's, it's not even that so much. It's you're just giving, that's just an easy, that's an easy way to let the devil get at you. Mm-hmm. And the music, the music is such a big deal because it takes you back to places and times and feelings and experiences that oh, yeah. you don't need to go back to. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you just don't. So, and I feel like you're so good at like keeping it real and just giving real. That's what I do. Raw answers. <laughs> <laughs> 
for, okay, so I feel like there's two sides to this. Like, that we have some listeners that are going through it on the side that you did. And then we have some listeners that maybe are going through it on the opposite side. And that they have loved ones that are in what you were in. Um, How can, as believers, maybe they're not our relatives. um, Maybe we don't even know them. But, like, in Jesus' scriptures where he said, love thy neighbor. He was also talking about that addicted neighbor he was mm-hmm. talking about that neighbor that doesn't look like you that doesn't listen to the same music you listen to that doesn't it how can we be better at loving people where you were and where those people are from your point of view from going through that how can we as christians and believers and family members of people going through those things how can we do better well let me just say this you know um i think one thing people have got to remember is people will often ask questions about somebody who is addicted. Mm-hmm. Like, let's look at that first. You say, you know, from the perspective of somebody who is not addicted, but that have a loved one who is addicted. Mm-hmm. And they say, okay, well, I love my loved one, but they did such and such, or they keep doing such and such, or why won't they get sober? Why won't this? Why won't that? <sighs> or why do they do this? I don't understand. Here's the thing. They don't understand either. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, why would they do such and such? I don't know. <laughs> Neither do they. I mean, it's almost like so many people ask these questions that there's just no answers for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think believers might understand that better than non-believers. Mm-hmm. They're looking for answers, you know, um, when, when they have loved ones that are addicted. You know, the non-believers, really, there's so many so many places that they just that they don't have any hope right you know um now for believers i guess there's so much of this that is maybe foreign to them mm-hmm. if they don't understand and they and they don't know that much about this stuff but i i told this lady at a prayer meeting one night super sweet lady but her and her husband have a son that is addicted and they were just so upset and i just i'm not one to usually do this cuz but I told her, I said, don't feel like, I don't feel like he doesn't love you. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's, I don't believe that that's, that that's not true. You right, know? Right. So many people feel like it's, if my loved one loved me, they wouldn't be doing this anymore. And that has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I mean, I can tell you that from experience. I loved my family before my addiction more than anything in the world. Mm-hmm. And... I loved them when I was addicted. Um, they are the reason, ultimately, that I decided to get sober. Mm-hmm. I always loved them more than my addiction. Mm-hmm. But my addiction took me to some places that I really, you know, didn't want to go. You know what they say? Yeah. Sin and addiction, both, you know, you can use those interchangeably. Mm-hmm. They take you places you want to go. They cost you more than you want to spend. And they keep you longer than you want to stay. Yeah. And that's true. Yes. But I, but I think a lot of times people who don't understand addiction, they think that the addicted person doesn't love them. And that's not the case. Right. That is not the case. You, you see so many people like the uh, rehab. You, you see so many people, they'll say, you know, why would you straighten up for your children? Why would you straighten up? You see women that are separated from their kids. And, and, and I saw this at the rehab that I was at. You had women who were separated from their children. They didn't have custody of their children. Their children, some of them uh, were in the custody of the state. Some of them were... Uh, in the custody of family members 
And these women's hearts ached. Mm-hmm. They grieved for their children. Yeah. But they're, they are sick. Mm-hmm. They are sick mentally. They're sick spiritually. Some of them have been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Some of them have hurts and stuff that you may not know about. Um, there's so much that just... Because see, I used to sit back. Before I was ever addicted, I used to sit back and think, you know what? I don't see how somebody could... Di- how are you going to have kids and have an addiction like that? You'd have to be a real piece of work. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. Mm-hmm. It's like God humbled me by showing me. Like I said, and I'm not proud of it. I mean, so-and-so stole their grandmother's jewelry. Boy, you got to be a real, I mean, wow. I can't believe somebody would do something like that. God humbled me because mm-hmm. I did that to my own grandmother in my addiction. Mm-hmm. Wow is all I can say. Yeah. I would have never thought, I still, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did that. But I did. So, you know, I I don't know. I don't know why I did that. I'll never know why I did that. And these women out here, and men too, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. that don't have relationships with their kids and their family members because they're addicted to drugs, I'm sure, because I've been through it, you don't know why you do these things. It's, It's bigger than we are. Yeah. There's hope. Right. In Jesus. Mm-hmm. But this thing is bigger than we are. Just keep praying. Keep yes. hoping. And, and please remember, it's not because we don't love you. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean it. It's yeah. not because we don't love you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, for laying yourself bare, for sharing things that people don't want to have to revisit, you know, but you do it for the sake of Christ. And like Christ left the flock for the one and he calls us to do the same. And I know that even though you can laugh about it, that there's pain in having to share. So I thank you for your transparency, for your vulnerability, for being able to do that. You're welcome. And um, I just, I thank you so much. Um, I can see you in the future being able to do this as like keynote speaker places where they're having you come and visit. I just really think that that's something that you're being called to. Um, every time I hear you share your testimony, it was good the first time, but it gets better every single time. You know, oh, and no, I just think, yeah, and I just think that that's just something that the Lord is doing, you know, and in your rebuild of your life. And, you know, in uh, Joel, it talks about he'll, he'll, he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And it is just such a blessing to get to watch that unfold for you. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Sally. Yeah. Thank you for all you do. Oh, yeah. Thank you for letting me. Well, that was so good. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. Um, So next we have co-host Abby Bailey. And each week she's been coming on and helping guide us through our identity in Christ. And this week she is going to be sharing with us what the Lord's been speaking to her about Jesus as our friend. So let's just dive in and see what Miss Abby's got for us.
All right, welcome back, guys. Abby's here with me. It's always such a joy to get to come on and just, uh, well, for one thing, enjoy each other's friendship and get to chit chat and catch up. And it's always so neat to see what the Lord's doing individually in each one of our lives and kind of how it matches one another. It's just such a neat thing. But this week, me and Abby were talking and you know, Abby is guiding us through our identity in Christ, and she was sharing with the role of Jesus as our friend. And it was just so much fun to talk about. Abby, do you want to share with us what the Lord kind of has led you to this week as Jesus is our friend and how you can help us with that? Yeah, it um, it was a straight download. I will just say that right up front. I don't know that I've ever looked at this in such depth. Um but I had been hearing and, and thinking of the old song about I'm a friend of God, I'm a friend of God, and he calls me friend. And it comes out of James 2.23 when they're talking about Abraham, his faith being counted as righteousness. Mm-hmm. And it says, and he was called a friend of God. And that really caught my attention because I thought, who called him a friend of God? Was it his peers at that time? Or was it the cloud of witnesses? Is that how he's known in heaven? And what does that mean to be called a friend of God? Um, And, you know, we've always, in the Christian world, I should say, there's always been this element that we're family, we're brothers, we're sisters. But what does it mean to be friends in God's terms? And so that was really what kind of started me this week. All right, Lord, well, show me what this means. (laughs) And and he took me at first to Job uh, 16, and he says, My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. Mm-hmm. And I thought about when we're friends with someone and they're going through something really difficult, and we feel the burden of that, and we will even shed tears for them, mm-hmm. you know, in their journey and the things that we feel that the shared. And it's that brotherly love that he talks about in Romans 12 to love one another and to show each other honor and and our intercession. And then immediately it was like the Lord just said, you know, this is this is what I do for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, Romans 834 says Jesus is at the right hand of the father making intercession for us. Mm-hmm. So we have the best friend that you could ever imagine pleading our cause to the father and this is what love in the brotherly love sense and for one another looks like but then more than that that's what it looks like to be friends with jesus and so um john 15 says greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend and jesus went to the cross for each of us yeah i mean we had a friend that was willing to die for us right and um Luke 6 to 32, this has been something that's really stayed with me my whole life because my mom really drilled this into us. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that? Even pagans do that. Yeah, even sinners can do that. That's easy. Yeah. The real challenge is can you love those that despise you, Mm -hmm. that use you? And I thought, you know, there's this whole thing, it feels like, in the culture right now of putting boundaries. And boundaries are absolutely healthy. I I come from trauma, so I'm telling you, they are life-saving skills, and you do need boundaries. But I think sometimes we can go so far in that that we miss the mission. Oh, yeah. And sometimes the mission is loving difficult people. Mm-hmm. And it is showing them that brotherly love. It is bearing one of their, their, their burdens. I mean, the Bible says... Faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. Like, that's that's the mission. That's what we do. Right. And, and us showing them friendship, they're able to know Jesus as their friend. And so 
it matters who our friends are, yes, but sometimes we serve people that like the paralytic man in Luke 5. He couldn't do anything for his friends, and yeah. yet his friends lowered him through the roof so that yes. he could be healed. Yes, thank Like you. We need people that are willing to, to help us carry our mats when we have nothing to offer. Right. You know, and, um, and the other thing that really has stayed with me that I can testify to is that when friendships do go bad— <laughs> not just friendships, but maybe family relationships. Jesus knows betrayal. Mm -hmm. We can trust him with our betrayal because he knows it. Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Peter denied him three times. In fact, he told Peter in Luke 22, before this night is over, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Yeah. Can you imagine? And I mean, Peter is like, I'll die for you. You And he's like, oh, nobody. (laughs) You're not even going to know me by the time this night is over. Mm -hmm. And yet, <clears throat> after the cross, after the betrayal, Jesus is risen, yeah. and he's on the beach. Disciples, this is all from John 21, if you want to go and read the story, because it's super powerful, yes, just to give you a is. picture. But they've come back to what they know, and I, that makes me laugh, because mm-hmm. how many times when we feel like we've missed it or disappointed do we go back to our old sin? Yeah. I mean, here he is, he's denied Jesus, he's blown it. And he's like, I'm going fishing. Yeah. And the rest of us were like, okay, we're going fishing. You know, so they're out there fishing, caught nothing. Somebody hollers from the beach, cast your nets on the other side. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me. <laughs> I mean, you can't tell me Jesus didn't have a sense of humor. Oh, absolutely. Because this goes back to Luke 5. The first time they believe that Jesus and Peter met, Jesus had gotten into Peter's boat to preach. Mm. And then they had same thing. They had been fishing all night. And Peter, he says, put your nets on the other side. And Peter says, we've been fishing all night. But at your word, I'll do what you said. And then it fills the nets and doesn't break the, it doesn't break them, but it fills them to almost the point of seeking the boat. And I love that, that picture of provision in that too. Like mm-hmm. more than above and beyond what you could ask, think, or imagine here. He's, and immediately Peter hits his knees and confesses his sin. Like, yes. I am not a, I am not a good man. Right. And Jesus looks him dead in the eye and says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So fast forward all this three years of relationship, three years of ministry, three years of friendship. Mm -hmm. Peter was in the inner sanctum. He was on the mount. He was was with him in the moments. He invited him to the garden. You know, he was there when Jesus washed Judas' feet. Yes. He was there when he locked eyes and betrayed him. Like, he was there for all of that. Yes, he was. And you can't tell me that he wasn't rolling through those moments in his head when all this happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of the resurrection story is because I've been Peter. Mm-hmm. I've I've totally betrayed my call. I've totally betrayed what the Lord did for me and gone back to fishing. Right. <laughs> you know, gone back to what I knew, yeah. gone back to my sin. Yeah. And so all of this and and the Bible says in Luke twenty one that the disciple who Jesus loved says, It's the Lord. Mm-hmm. And Peter just throws off his outer cloak and dives in and swims to the shore. And there's yes. Jesus. There's Jesus with a fire. Mm-hmm. Bring me some of those fish, boy. We're about to eat. Yeah. Like just serves him once again, has yes. a meal with him, breaks bread with him. And probably some of my favorite scriptures, but he reaffirms him. Um, John 21, 15 through 17. If you read those scriptures three times, Jesus asks him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. He says, tend my sheep, Mm -hmm. tend my sheep. 
And so for me, it was like this picture that was building of what the Lord said, okay, this is what friendship with me means to you. It means that I'm interceding for you. So Jesus intercedes for us. He fights for our love. That's right. He is willing to meet us where we're at. He, he met every one of the disciples where they're at. He went out of his way to went, meet the woman at the, at the well. Yes, he did. To tell her, I came for you, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't come for a drink. I came for you. Mm-hmm. He met people where they were at, and he still does. Yes, he, he knows does. betrayal. We can absolutely trust him with any betrayal that we've endured because he knows that pain, and he can carry it. He took it to the cross for us. And what I love about Peter is that we can miss it, and we can still be useful in the kingdom of God. Yes. Like, there's not this chore chart with gold stickers that, like, if it isn't right, then we don't we lose our turn or anything like that. You know, Peter still stood before the Sanhedrin in Acts um, after Jesus had been ascended into heaven, and him and John were in a lot of deep water because. Yeah. <laughs> They had healed a man on the Sabbath, and they were wanting to try to condemn him for that. And they said, you know, they told him, okay, you know what? Just just don't talk anymore about Jesus, and we won't punish you. And Peter said, you know, how can I not? You might as well kill me now. How can I not talk about what he has done for me? And so, I mean, and eventually it got to the point before Peter's death that they were cutting up pieces of his clothing and sending it to people because people were getting healed just by touching his garments. And so, I mean, the Lord was still able to use him after he denied him three times. That wasn't the end of Peter's story. And that whole picture of restoring, I mean, he made Peter say it out loud. Do you love me? Yeah. Yeah. It was like your declaration of your love to me supersedes anything that's done in your past. Yeah. And I'm, I still love you, yes. and I'm still here to make it right. Yes. And that's what the picture was for me, that he keeps his promises. Because that was him saying, I told you, buddy, three years ago I was going to make you a fisher of men. Yeah. And I'm here on the speech right now with you post-betrayal, yeah. post-crucifixion, and I'm saying to you, tend my sheep. I still mm-hmm. love you, yeah. and I still trust you with a call. And that's the that's the that's one of the greatest benefits of the friendship of Jesus, that he is interceding for us to get there yes to reach our promise Mm -hmm. to fulfill our destiny that in spite of our flaws in spite of our failures we will press toward the mark of the high calling in christ jesus we will Mm -hmm. finish our race well yes and we will get where he needs us to get and do exactly what he's called us to do and the other side of that coin is that when we betray him we can trust him with that too Mm -hmm. because that's ultimately what the story of peter is all about is that like you just said, nothing was beyond his ability to redeem. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we were laughing about it because it's so true. Like the zeal of Peter in the garden, he cut the soldier's ear off. I mean, talk <laughs> yes, about blowing it. it. <laughs> you know, it's like, read the room, dude. Yeah. This is not that moment, you know? And Jesus just picks the guy's ear up. Not, like, <laughs> we're not doing that right now, Peter. Yeah. You know, it's like, how many times have I, in my excitement, completely missed the oh moment? Oh my gosh, yes. You know, like the old saying, "Stupid on fire." I mm-hmm. could, I can have, I have that T-shirt. <laughs> you know, I could do. <laughs> but yet, God, in His infinite wisdom and grace, and because He's our friend, mm-hmm. and His word says that He, they will know you by how you love one another. Yes, and He sets that example he sets the example that you know what you do with your judas you wash his feet Mm -hmm. you know what a friend betrays you 
you forgive him. Yeah. 70 times 7. Yes. You know, you, you can you can hide that in me because I understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's so comforting to me. Yes. Because it's so hard. Everybody has their own stories. And betrayals come from different places. But I would say if you've made it to 15 years of life, you've probably been through some kind of betrayal. Mm-hmm. And just to know that you have a Savior who's up there making intercession for you, who's saying to the Father, I know this pain. I understand this pain. We need to break through this pain. They have a promise over their life. They oh, have yeah. a they have a purpose to fulfill. Well, and the they're other carrying side that, that burden for us. Yeah. Um, one at some point, like you said, if we live long enough for the fifteen years that you've been through a betrayal, also at some point it's gonna be you that's done it. Yes. You know, you're gonna be on both sides of yes. the coin. You're gonna be point. Peter. Yeah. And Jesus is still there saying, I still love you. Yeah. I still love you. Mm-hmm. And knowing and understanding him as your friend, knowing the love of a friend. Greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for a friend. Jesus went to the cross. He died for us. He saw us in our worst moment and still was willing to endure all of that pain for us. Just that in itself is one of the biggest benefits. But it doesn't stop there. He provides for us. He meets all of our needs. I love that in the stories of the fish... There was more than enough. Yeah. They had always had abundance. They always had abundance. leftovers. Yeah. Yes. When they he told them to, to pitch their nets over, the nets didn't break, but the, the nets were full. Mm-hmm. You know, it was enough for them to eat and sell and mm-hmm. have money. Mm-hmm. And, and I just love that we have those promises. They were never without. There was never any lack in Him. And so, yeah, just understanding that you are a friend of God. Mm-hmm. He calls you friend That's right. and all of the resources of heaven that are open to you in that friendship that you can be Peter. You can completely blow it. You can be in a place where you're walking through all of your failures, all your disappointments, but Jesus is, he's looking across the fire at you with love and compassion in his eyes. Yes. And he's saying, I still have a promise for you. Mm-hmm. I still have a purpose for you, and I can use this right. if you'll trust me with it. Yeah. And then he, and that's where Peter got to later after Jesus was gone. He's like, "How could I not mm-hmm. testify of this man?" Yeah. Because the truth is, is that once you've had Jesus as a friend, the friend that sticks closer than a brother, you will never be able to deny him again. Right. Jesus, he would never deny him again. Peter was so humble at that point after really understanding the heart of Jesus for him. When he was crucified, he said, I'm not, I can't do it the way my Savior died. You're going to have to, you're going to have to crucify me upside down. Mm-hmm. I can't go the way he went. I mean, he was, he was just at that point of like, he's the only thing I've got. Mm-hmm. He's the only thing. And that's where I feel like I have come to. Like, I love my family. I love my husband. I love ministering and sharing the gospel. But when it all comes down to it, Jesus is all I've got. He has been there for me when no one else could, Mm -hmm. when no one understood, when no one could see the brokenness, when no one could understand the level of pain. He has been my friend. Mm -hmm. He has been the one walking beside me, bearing that burden, interceding for me, and helping me through. He's all I got. He is my very best friend. And what a gift. Oh, like the old song, what a friend we have in Jesus. All of this guilt and shame that he bears. Like, just the day-to-day, like, oh, I, I, I don't know where I wouldn't be if it weren't for my friend Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he changes everything. Amen, yes. <laughs> he really does. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. He really does. That's wonderful. Well, wow. That's good stuff. <laughs> and I'm so glad. It just really, oh my gosh, it just, it ministers to me too. You know, every time that we get together and we're talking about it, and it's not that I don't know the word and that I don't have it, but just having these fresh reminders and, mm-hmm. and having an opportunity to just go back through and highlight um like Peter, all of the highs and the lows, and to know that he was his friend through it all, and that Peter was no exception, and that, you know, heaven was bankrupted for our sake, too, and that he came just for us like he did Peter, too, and that he's been with us for all of our highs and lows, and it's just awesome. Thank you so much for coming. thank you for having me. So that is a wrap for this week. I pray that it has blessed you. Thank you so much for listening in. And we just um, pray blessings over you for the week to come and invite you to come back in with us at our next episode. We can't wait for you to join back in.